0: Good morning again, everyone. Some weeks you come here and you have different energy levels, and I've just got the sense that everybody's just a little tired today. It was a beautiful day outside yesterday. I know a lot of work got done around the yards and around the houses and things like that. And it's just kind of looking dreary today, like it's a good day for a nap. So let's see what I can do here. Help you out. <laughs> No, I hope that you did have a good week, that you enjoyed some of the weather, um, that you were able to spend some time with a message from last week examining your hearts about why it is that we come for worship, Uh, examining our hearts in terms of our views of sin, the ugliness of that, and how we can compare ourselves to Judas at times. This morning in our passage, we're going to still be within the the Passover meal time frame, and we're going to be discussing some of the dinner conversations that happen during this meal. Dinner conversations are always exciting. I'm sure if you think of some of the family get-togethers, you know, we just had Mother's Day, did you have any interesting discussions or conversations? Normally it's more along the time frame of Thanksgiving and Christmas, those are the times where you get into those topics of politics and religion. You know, this past year, if you were able to meet, perhaps you discussed the election or you discussed the pandemic that was going around. Again, wide variety of opinions that can come down to make the conversations interesting. I know in our family, a lot of times we would play different games around the dinner table. We would play 20 questions, uh, telephone, telephone, two truths and a lie, truth or dare, you know, all these types of things that could help with the family interaction. And there was a season for in, in, my, in our family here where I was when we played truth or dare and they asked me, I had to choose dare. I just had to. And they would come up with some funny ones for sure. But the reasons why I had to choose dare was because if I said truth, I knew the question would be, which child is your favorite? <laughs> they were persistent little buggers with this. And it's it's a question that they would often ask. It's a fun question. Perhaps you had that debate with your siblings. Being the oldest in my family, of course, I was the favorite. You know, everybody has these types of arguments from time to time. And we're going to see in our passage today that this is a similar discussion that's going to start off these dinner conversations. But we're going to look at three different topics today. So if you have your Bibles to Luke 22... You can join me. I'm going to begin in verse 24. A dispute rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader, as one who serves. For who is greater, for who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has money bag take it, and likewise the knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, That this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Father, as we go to your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would make us alert to your truths. Help us to stay focused. Help us to see a deeper understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we look at these topics, and it seems like a fun dinner conversation, right? Who is the greatest? Satan wants to sift you and prepare because hard times are coming. Kind of lightens the mood a little bit for you. Let's look at each of these topics today, starting with who is the greatest, This is a question that has also been persistent with the disciples. We've had different times in the gospel messages where you've had James and John and their mother come and say, can we sit at your right and left-hand side when when you come into your kingdom? And he says, well, that's not for me to grant. You've had other times the disciples are discussing this same topic of who is the greatest. Back in chapter 9 in Luke, Verses 46 through 48 says, An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child, put him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Now, in Mark's account of this story... You have them coming into the city of Capernaum, and Jesus is asking about their conversation that they had on the road. He just says, you know, what what is it that you were talking about on the road? And the disciples get quiet. You know, it was kind of a shameful thing at that time that they were discussing who among them is the greatest. Um, so they, they, felt, they fell silent for that time. But hopefully we can see the similarities, the consistency that Jesus has dealing with this topic of greatness, even back in chapter 9 to our passage today. When he deals with this question, he stresses that whoever is the least will be the greatest in the kingdom. You know, Jesus has a different definition of greatness. Greatness is still a thing in his eyes, But it's not viewed or defined as the world would do so. It seems in conversations today, that's what a lot of things are coming back to. How are we defining our words? How are we understanding what's being said? And Jesus goes into this. He says, normally in the world, you would look at power. You would look at authority. You would look at titles. You would look at age to determine how great someone is. Um, You know, the age part, you would just be viewed as being great because you're older, you are wiser, you're more respected, you're honored. Those with power wield that power, so they're viewed in terms of their strength, whether it is to rule over people, tyrannically, authoritarian-like, or whether it is to lead well. So you have titles that give you honor as well. But what Jesus is telling them is it doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter what your age is. You are to serve others. That is how you achieve greatness. And you do this because Jesus is the model for that. You think of Philippians chapter 2. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God the Father. So Jesus is the model of servanthood. He is who we are to follow in terms of greatness. Now you can also link this passage back to our understanding of the same night and same event in John 13 where Jesus washes the feet of the disciple. Jesus, the master, does the task of a servant. And then he instructs the disciples to go and do the same. Do not think of lofty titles and power in this world. Do not think that that brings you greatness. Instead, be a servant. Do your good deeds in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew 6. They have to have this understanding of humility and this need for serving. Because if serving is not beneath the master, it is not beneath the disciples. So he would, this would lead them to true greatness. You know, oftentimes, we struggle with the world's definition of greatness, whether it's our thirst or striving for power, for fame, for recognition to be the next great YouTube star or influencer or whatever it might be. We struggle with things of social status. We struggle with keeping up with the Joneses type of mentality, understanding different and changing Definitions of greatness. Jesus is consistent with his understanding of what it means to be great, and that is one who serves. Being a servant amid any type of atmosphere can look ridiculous, but it is a command and calling of God. Again, this question is often repeated greatness is something that is desired. So as you pursue this in your own life, what is your definition of greatness? How do you understand that? How do you live it out? The other thing that we have to address in our lives is many times we can say one thing, but what do our actions dictate? Do we truly believe what we're saying? Are we swayed by the world's definitions? Do we fall into those traps? Or do we understand what it means to have a servant's heart? Then as we look to verses 28 through 30, we see the faithfulness of the disciples to continue to still be with Jesus through his trials. And he is calling on them to remain faithful because faithfulness is the basis for that reward. It's a, faithfulness is a theme that runs throughout Luke. And he is again stressing that here. And he's showing how that there's going to be thrones in the kingdom of heaven, thrones that they will sit on to judge the tribes of Israel. So we see that there's a, a nationalistic hope for the people of God here. Also, we want to notice the number of thrones, 12. Going back to the message from last week, or judging the 12 tribes of Israel, sorry. But going back to the message from last week, understanding um, what happened with Judas. You know, two of these stories today are unique to the gospel of Luke. Uh, Only, I think, John puts it to when Judas leaves, and that's right before Jesus talks about Peter's denial. So we don't know if Judas is here to hear this, but again, this would be an opportunity for him to repent, to hear these rewards, to understand what is at stake. These 12 seats, these 12, would be a part of the the 24 thrones that are seen in Revelation. You know, when we think about what Judas, what happened to Judas, as we talked about last week, we have an assumption that Judas has fallen. But the seats are consistent. You know, it doesn't say 11 seats. It's talking about the 24 thrones, you know, in Revelation. So evidently, you know, with... Uh, As Jesus says in John, the son of destruction and things like that, evidently with Acts and understanding that they replaced Judas with Matthias, it stays consistent in terms of the word of God, that there are 24 thrones that will be seen, 12 for the disciples, 12 for the the tribes of Israel. And again, faithfulness is key because they're going to face hard trials coming up because Satan has asked to sift them like wheat. He is calling them to be faithful to the word of God to receive that reward. Now, there isn't much transition here into this next section. Jesus just emphatically calls out Simon's name, and I don't know why he changes from Simon up front to Peter down below. There's some different speculation in terms of uh, the parts of Peter that Jesus is addressing, but again that 's just kind of speculation. but what is interesting to me is as he is addressing Simon, um, you know again it 's out of the blue. Maybe Simon was the one that was addressing who is the greatest type of question, so he 's just going to continue to talk to simon i don 't know, but there but what we see here is within this conversation, Jesus is going to address something with Peter, specifically. But I also want to throw out here that there's a very important reason for us to be able to study languages. Going through Latin with a lot of the CC students this year, language and how we understand it is very important. And there's a simple, simple thing uh, in terms of a reason why we need to do that, and that is the term you. That is in verse 31. How do you understand that you? Now, when you look at the context, clearly you could think he's talking just to Simon because he is emphatically talking to Simon. But when you study the language, it's actually plural. It's the plural form of you. So, he is perhaps talking in the immediate context to the 12 or to all of us in terms of understanding that satan wants to sift us like wheat you know satan is always at work trying to tempt us trying to get us to be out of the hands of the father you know and the way that this imagery works you have a pile of wheat that's on the ground and they would have this pitchfork type of tool that they would dig it into the wheat throw it up in the air And then the chaff would blow away in the wind, and then the grain would come down. It separates the true grain from that which is going to be burned up. Um, So this imagery, again, would instill faithfulness for the disciples, being faithful to the word of God, being faithful to Jesus' teachings. So Peter is not the only one to be sifted here. But Peter is the subject of what Jesus is talking about because Jesus prays for Peter singularly the you in verse 32 is singular it's directed at peter that his faith might not fail it will falter though notice as jesus says and when you return so there's big implications there for the meaning of what jesus is saying for peter that you are going to break faith with me you know there's going to be some hard times coming satan has asked to sift you and you will falter But Jesus is confident that you will not fail because Jesus has prayed for him. He then charges Peter to strengthen his brothers when he returns. His brothers would also have their faith shaken. You know, it would be shaken because of Jesus' betrayal, arrest, beatings, trial, crucifixion, death. Obviously, they wouldn't understand all of that in the very immediate context. But their faith would be shaken hard at that. Um, you know, they obviously, again, they don't see all of the specifics that are around them, but it shows the spiritual warfare that is constantly around and the power of prayer to combat that. You know, do we have that same understanding in terms of the power of prayer or is it just something that we do? Do we understand how to combat the spiritual warfare through prayer? Because this sifting would challenge all of them. And we have to think about why it would challenge them. Remember what they're still believing even now. They're coming into Jerusalem believing that Jesus is going to be their king. What happens when their king dies? They've put all of their eggs in this basket, and now their king is dead. What's going to happen to their hearts and mind? They're going to falter. They're going to be strained. They might not all betray Jesus to the authorities like Judas, but they do all abandon him, except for John, who is there at the cross. And in John 16, Jesus says this, verse 32, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. They will all abandon Jesus. And Jesus asks Peter to strengthen his brothers when he returns. Now, very easily, Jesus could pray the same prayer for all of the disciples. But he prays specifically for Peter here. And the way that my mind works, I think that this is done because it shows the important role that the church plays in strengthening, strengthening the body. How each of us can encourage, affirm, and strengthen one another in the faith. Too often, church is viewed as pastor-centric, where the pastor has to do everything, and we neglect that we are all a priesthood of believers who are gifted in order to build up the body. Think of the message in Hebrews and how we are called not to neglect meeting with one another, I think that's the purpose, so that we could continue to encourage and build up one another, to equip the body with the Word of God. Um, You know, most weeks we come to worship together, but are we truly together? Or do we just come as individuals? You know, how intentional are we at building these types of relationships up? The church plays a crucial role in faith. As the Spirit works through each one of us, we're able to build up one another. And it's a topic that we're going to get into after our study of Luke finishes up. Peter has an important task among the brothers once he has returned. And I think that teaching comes down to us as well. And that we're all at different points in our maturity and faith. We all go through different things and we have an opportunity to encourage and build each other up. Others who might be falter, faltering, others that might be struggling, trying to walk away. You know, and Peter, with his boldness, with his typical confidence, kind of just replies to Jesus saying, hey, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die with you. And he will in time, but not yet. Jesus says here that Peter will deny him three times before the morning comes. And again, you have to think about the importance of this night and everything that they've been through. You know, this is the Passover feast. This is a time of awesome remembrance. They they have these feelings of elation because they think that Jesus is going to be the king and that they're entering into the kingdom right now. They're excited. They had their feet washed. They had this wonderful Passover meal. And now you're having these conversations about Satan wanting to sift you, about that you are going to deny him three times again what would that do to your mindset You probably deny it oh yeah that's not gonna happen let's look at a practical example of this I'll pick on the guys guys what if I told you this afternoon that you're gonna get in a fight with your wife what do you think do you start getting a little worried Do you just believe it? No, I'm not. And you look at your wife, are we? (laughs) Maybe you're going to pick up one that you left off before you came to church. What this shows is how quickly circumstances can change, especially when we're going to be sifted like wheat, where the sifting can come to rock us, to shake our faith, where we're tossed to and fro by the waves to show us the importance of strengthening one another, to stand firm on the rock, to cling to Jesus in those times. You know, sometimes the waves come hard and it just knocks you off your feet. It's important to have those beside you that can help pick you back up. You know, Peter, his example here shows how overconfidence can cause us to fall at times. We can always talk a big game as believers, but when persecution really comes when the moment's to stand firm or to not deny to deny him are before us what's actually going to happen you know we need to understand what it means to strengthen each other in the faith in order to face hard trials because even peter falls briefly with a threat of persecution you know last week we looked at at judas falling to temptation And again, we know what we believe about him. And now we have Peter, who also falls. But how do we look at Peter? Well, we look at him differently because we know the other side of the story. Peter returns to the faith. He repents. He tells Jesus that he loves him three times. He is filled with the Spirit. He goes out and boldly proclaims the gospel message. He gets beaten and he rejoices that he was beaten for the name of Christ. He helps lead the church until the point uh, until he is killed for his faith. And we look at the differences between now, the Peter now, and the Peter in Acts. The obvious difference is the Spirit. The Spirit is the strength that we all need. And we all need to be walking with him, as it says in Galatians, keeping in step with the Spirit, because he is the power behind the words that we believe in. And again, we could all be insulted, we could all be offended that someone would question whether or not we would stand firm. But as Peter shows us, even someone in the inner three can falter at times. As we talked last week in terms of future sins, we have to continue to have that understanding that every time that we sin, it breaks that fellowship with God. We're saying that we choose something else other than God. And our faith can be shaken At the times that we falter. So we need to be prepared. We need to be faithful. We need to be strengthened by one another, encouraged. Encouraged to be faithful to the Word of God. I oftentimes go back to the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, making sure that that's equipped and not just on a display case. Because when the attacks come, when the sifting comes, the enemy is not going to wait for us to put it on, it needs to be prepared. We need to be ready for that battle at a moment's notice because the enemy is relentless. And it's important for the disciples to recognize this because Jesus says that the trials will now get a little bit harder. Persecution is going to get a little bit bigger. When we look at this last section today, Jesus is talking about how before, you know, I sent you out with nothing, I told you to go in my name. Um, And you would rely on God to provide you through the hospitality of others. And you would do all of these wonderful things in my name. But if you go back to that time, you remember there's this curiosity still about Jesus. There's this fervor. There's this excitement. So most of the time, they were welcomed because they were curious about who this Jesus was. What did they lack for at that time? Nothing. God had provided through the means of other people. So, in the times of persecution that are coming, Jesus is asking, look, you depended on God then, continue to depend on God because things are going to change. Things are going to get harder, but you need to stay faithful to this calling. Um, You've trusted me in the past, trust me even more. You know, they're still going to be going out in Jesus' name, but things are going to change concerning his name. They need to be prepared for this by trusting that God would still provide. Now, any of the preparation here, I link to verse 37 as its purpose, uh, when it says that scripture needs to be fulfilled. Now, this scripture is Isaiah fifty-two or fifty-three, twelve. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. Jesus is telling the people, or is telling the disciples, that he is going to be labeled a criminal, a transgressor. The world would label him a criminal because he goes against their system. These are the types of thoughts that we've been learning about in the Truth Project. You know, the world, with its definitions, doesn't like Christianity's exclusive claims of absolute truth. So they would fight against that. Because of that, they would face Hard trials. People would be coming after them and they would not be able to trust others as readily. They needed to rely on God. And you know, we're seeing that now with the nation of Israel in terms of their allies are abandoning them and they need to depend on God for their protection, for their salvation. The disciples would need some personal resources, as it lists here. Now, some people take these things as being literal. Others take these as more metaphorical, just being prepared because they would not have the, other, the means to rely on others. And the biggest thing there in that announcement is that of a sword. Now with this imagery here, I go back to the Old Testament when it calls the people to beat the plowshares into swords. It was a call to get ready for battle, to get ready for attack. And within this context, um, you know, Jesus had just talked about how Satan wants to sift them. How, when we look at Ephesians 6 and the understanding that the enemy is not flesh and blood. Now, Satan can definitely use flesh and blood against us, but if our enemy is spiritual, then we need to be ready for spiritual battle. And again, going back to the armor of God, they would need weapons to combat that attack that would shake their faith. Now, I think that this is a hard passage to take literally, because in the very next section, Jesus rebukes Peter. Um, for cutting off the ear of Malchus. You know, again, it's it's debated in terms of is Jesus saying you can have personal defense defense here. Now, I think all the disciples had knives or swords for practical purposes, but Jesus doesn't teach active aggression or taking action against your enemy. Instead, what you see is many of the disciples being arrested, being beaten many times. They're not fighting people off with swords. So again, it's something that you, that you need to understand in terms of the types of attacks that they were getting and how the disciples fought back. Most of the time, they were cutting people with the word of God. That was their sword. And however they were received is how they were received. To God be the glory. You know as they overall i think for this understanding jesus wants them to not um, underestimate the strength that the, of the opposition that they're going to face they're going to face some intense struggles but they can depend on god they have to re- depend on god rather than themselves he's calling them to be prepared and i th- again i think this goes back to the armor of god as he says that this is enough to finish this segment I believe it's said in a way that shows their lack of understanding. As they say, two swords here, Jesus isn't saying, well, that's enough, two swords to defend all 12 of you. Instead, it's, I think, said more of a way of, all right, you're not getting it, it's enough, let's move on to the next thing. Again, because they don't go out and fight Rome in that way. Within this segment today, I think for us, we need to look at our mental approach to how this world impacts our faith. You know, are we allowing the earth's definitions of greatness to influence our daily lives? Are we understanding the Lord's definition of greatness? Is that impacting our lives? You know, many times we have a foot in the world and we want to hang on to some of those desires, some of those selfish things. The Lord calls us to be servants in order to understand greatness. We need to understand his greatness to be the least so that we can be called great in his kingdom. Are we standing firm in the faith, understanding full well that Satan wants to sift us and that hard times are going to be coming? Or are we trying to stay comfortable? Jesus knows that our faith is going to falter at times. And I find hope in this passage in that he is not condemning Peter, but rather he is encouraging him to strengthen the brothers as he returns. And I think that that's a very telling thing for us. Because you know, in life, a lot of hardships come at all of us. We're going through the ringer, we're stressed out, we're working a lot of hours. And it's tough. You need those small victories at times in your faith in order to kind of act as a pick-me-up. But the important thing is once you have that, once you return to your faith and you remember those things, now turn to a brother or sister in Christ and do the same for them. Help to strengthen them and encourage them because they're going through hard things just the same. So many times our life, our faith is so individualized and we don't live life together. There are times ahead of us in the next few years as well that the situations look look bleak. There are pastors in Canada that are being arrested. You know, we could think that persecution is here, but it's not. You know, if we're afraid or if we're worried at this point, what's our heart and mindset going to be when persecution truly comes? You know, we don't have people knocking down our doors yet. We don't have people threatening us with guns. We're still pretty comfortable. But it does look bleak. So in the meantime, we need to prepare our hearts and minds for a sifting that could be coming. We need to resolve in our minds to strengthen ourselves now. We need to understand how to walk in the armor of God, in the power of the Spirit. Because by that time, it may be too late. As Christians, we need to be servant-hearted people even in the face of our enemies, those that would persecute us, those that would arrest us, those that would beat us, those that would put us to death. Because as it said in a few passages ago, it acts as an opportunity to be a witness for him. Understanding that the Spirit would give us the words to say and the strength to go through everything. No matter what we go through, whether it's good or bad, to God be the glory. That needs to be our central focus as we go through these times because he is our strength. He is the one that we lean on. We don't lean on our titles. We don't lean on our wealth or the power that we build up for ourselves. We need to lean on Christ because he is enough. Let's pray. Father, as, as we think about these discussions, Lord they can be lighthearted they can be kind of fun as we tease each other about greatness but Lord there's absolute truth in here in terms of the type of heart that you wish for us to have in terms of being a servant there's great understanding that we need to have when it comes to the enemy as he asks to sift us like wheat as our faith gets tested is it genuine is it true Lord, I think of Romans 7. I think of our future sins. I think of those times that we will falter. Lord, help us to be quick to repentance, to seek forgiveness. Help us not to harden ourselves in sin, to go down those roads of strongholds. But Lord, to understand what it means that you have broken the yoke That the burden of sin is placed upon us, that we have forgiveness and freedom in you. Help us to throw off our selfishness and replace it with humility. Help us to humbly see those around us, those that the enemy is using currently, those that are lost. Lord, help us to have compassion on them. Understanding that you will provide us the things that we need to accomplish your mission. Lord, for too long we have lived in comfort. We've gotten ahead of ourselves. We have not, we have not been gracious with what we have been given. And Lord, if if harder times do come for this nation, I pray that we can stand firm, not being shaken, not being tossed to and fro by the things of this world, but stand firm to your truth because you are all that matters. We strive each and every day to honor your name, to live as your ambassadors. And I'm encouraged by the grace that you have given us. I'm encouraged by remembering the deeds of the past, how you have worked through each one of us to equip others. Help us continue to do that in strong ways. Help us to be more invested in each other, especially as times get harder, especially as people stay away longer. I pray for those that are still at home, Lord, help us to make connections with them. To continue to uh, encourage them to be a part of the body. Lord, you have placed each one here for specific purposes. I pray that we can come together united under your banner, under your name, to serve one another, to serve the communities that you have before us, to take your gospel message of truth, of light, into a dark world. It is a hard task for sure. But you go before us. You are in us. And we go by your spirit and your spirit alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.